Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to History Rage, the podcast where we get historians into an incendiary fury. The podcast where myths get consumed in the mother of all firestorms. I am your regular host, Paul Bavel, and I'm here, as ever, with my good friend and wingman, Kyle Glover. Hello! Um, this week, dear Ragers, we're coming back to World War II and the work of Bomber Command. And flying point with us on this dawn raid into history, we are joined by author, publisher, documentary consultant and co-producer of the feature documentary Lancaster, Steve Darlow. Steve, welcome to History Rage. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So you've said that you're uh, potentially quite calm uh, as a gentleman throughout this. <laughs> yes, I am. But uh, you've certainly pressed a button here. So I'm raring to go on this one. <laughs> right. Good, good. Don't let the blood pressure get too high. That's okay. our job. Um, so you came to us when we had our absolute Twitter storm of people suggesting guests to us and people volunteering. And you were one of those volunteers yourself. So on the one hand, thank you. On the other hand, more the fool you. <laughs> That's right. Um, I also caught your uh, episode that you did for Fighting on Film as well. Very oh, interesting. Right. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but for our ever-increasing angry mob out there, could you tell us a little bit more about you and about the work that you do? Well, I, I got introduced to the subject matter through a family connection. My grandfather was a, a pilot with Bomber Command. Uh, he, he flew with 427 Squadron, then became a Pathfinder, 32 operations, uh, and became prisoner of war. And then back in 2000, my first book was published, which was about him and his crew called Lancaster Down. Um, and just the researching for the that subject, I came well intrigued with the story of Bomber Command and, and then also going on to generally the Royal Air Force in the Second World War and uh, just kept researching subject matters that I didn't feel had got enough attention that needed to be told. I think, I think I'm think i up to about 22 books now, not, not just as a sole author, but some of those are co-authored as well. And then in 2009, I set up Fighting High Publishing yeah. um, to, to, again, get more stories out there. I think we've got over about 50 books now that we've, we've published. And then, it, and then it's developed, and in recent years, documentaries, Smithsonian's Air Warriors, I went flew out to America and did their Spitfire uh, program, and then the, the extraordinary journey doing the Lancaster feature documentary over the last uh, three or four years uh, has been fantastic, and we're actually now already working on Mosquito. Uh, well, I haven't veterans. watched the Lancaster one yet, but I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it for the family connection of having a grandfather that worked for Avro. Right. Okay. Um, so um, actually, getting... at the joint Eden, the giant aircraft factory north of Leeds. Right. Okay. I think. Um, so yeah, I think I won't spoil it for you. Yeah, you might enjoy the, <laughs> might enjoy the film a bit more then. So yeah. it's been very, very well received. We're, del- we're yes. delighted with the way it's been received. Yeah, um, I've heard very good and read very yeah. good reviews of it as well. Yeah, nothing but praise. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think Mosquito. I'm very optimistic about that as well. But I think very much my motivation over the last well, it's two guys two decades now has been to to capture the human story behind bomber command and then presenting that through fortunately now through documentaries but through published uh published material and i reckon uh, and honestly i've interviewed a, i would around about 200 plus veterans over the course of these 20 years and i've got lots of recordings and and, and obviously published it as well so i'm very passionate um about the subject matter and i'm very passionate about the way it's presented 
which is why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so let's yeah. let's light that blue touch paper then, yeah. Steve. If you would, uh, if you would kindly tell our uh, baying mob of history ragers, uh, what what's pissing you off today? Well, y- yes, and it does, and it's it's a mixture of anger and despair. It's it's the laziness and the, the very simplistic approach of the mainstream media when it comes to bomber command, and particularly because they pretty much go straight to the raid uh, on Dresden in in, in February nineteen. 19- 45, and thereby it negates everything else that the Bomber Command did. Now, I'm not saying that the Dresden Raid should not be examined. It absolutely must be. It can't be forgotten. It needs, needs to be explored. But come on, there's so much more. There's 50, before the Dresden Raid, you know, there's over 50,000 airmen have lost their lives. Their story deserves to be told. Uh, and just as an example, when the Bomber Command Memorial was unveiled in 2012 we had a, a, a veteran with us called john banfield mm-hmm. uh, and the bbc wanted a veteran to come along to their their studios to talk talk about it now but now john was a wireless operator and he bailed out the side of his aircraft he, a hole in the side of his aircraft he got he had to get out of that and parachute so not out of the door he did no. to go out of the yeah, hole a, that was created uh, a hole that had been created uh, and this was in in early 1943 parachuted down and became a prisoner of war. I thought, what a fantastic story. We can get John to the BBC and he can talk about that experience. First question they ask him is about about Dresden. John's been a prisoner of war for two years before uh, there's the Dresden raid. And it's like, what an opportunity you've missed to present a human story. By well, going through side, to this he could default. have done a really good answer about that, couldn't he? So, oh, yeah, Dresden, I remember it well. I was sat in Stella Gluft 8. Yes, well, <laughs> that's right. Yes, yes, I, I saw, I saw <laughs> it from a distance. I was learning German. Yeah. I was playing cricket, you know. <laughs> but the frustration when you've yeah. got a great story that you could present and then it goes to uh, – it, it's laziness and just going straight to that there. Now, Bomber Command, it's a vast, complex story. And I'm focusing just on this one raid. It denies really that proper recognition and, and commemoration. 125,000 aircrew served uh, with Bomber Command, 55,573 lost lost their lives, and also the women who served as well, uh, and the ground crews who served. So their story has to be told. Don't just isolate it to one raid, for goodness mm-hmm. sake. Uh, let's go, go across the whole, whole course of the war. Just to be clear, though, Dresden must never be forgotten. I do not want to diminish the human tragedy and the human consequence of what happened. Yeah. There's, there's, there's fantastic literature out there about exploring that. And you must understand how we actually uh, got to that point. It takes more than two minutes to understand Bomber Command. So come on, media, get your <laughs> finger out, make, yeah. make an effort to find out more. Okay, there so I, I'm as guilty of this as the next man, or possibly more, more guilty than the next man because the next man's Kyle. But if I think of Bomber Command, then, yeah, naturally, I'm going to think of Dresden. I'll be surprised if people didn't. Uh, followed by dam busting. And I would have thought followed by Operation Jericho, but you've kindly informed me that's not Bomber Command, so I'll just scratch that one. <laughs> so what are, the, what are some of the specific Bomber Command achievements, missions, and stories that I'm missing? Well, that's, it's probably best then if I try and go through this chronologically uh, yeah. and just sort of pick some... Uh, pick some highlights, if if that's the right the right word. So, yeah. okay, let's go back to 19, uh, 1940 and the Battle of the Barges. So the Germans are uh, building up their invasion fleet in the Channel ports, and Bomber Command is called upon uh, to to sink those barges. Um, called uh, it's called the Battle of the Barges, mm-hmm. successfully proving to the German Navy that they're gonna if they're gonna cross the Channel, they need to have air, air superiority. Um, we have got. In a, in, it was seventh of September today, but in a week's time, uh, we're going to have the Battle of Britain Day, uh, which is going to be commemorated, and the fighter command contribution quite rightly needs to be commemorated. But Bomber Command had more airmen killed in the Battle of Britain period than fighter command did, over mm. over seven hundred aircrew. What their contribution was, I, that, I don't, I doubt that will get any media coverage whatsoever uh, on, on Battle of Britain Day. Okay. Cracking on. So then we're getting into the Battle of, uh, Battle of the Atlantic period. So Bomber Command, the mine laying campaign, an extraordinary uh, campaign that pretty much went went the length of the war, mine laying and, and sinking sinking German shipping. Going through into the Battle of the Ruhr, the attack on the uh, German mil- uh, industrial might in, in the Ruhr, an extraordinary mm-hmm. campaign in 1943, moving through to, to Hamburg. 
I mean, Hamburg was a, a great, if you're talking statistics, I don't particularly feel comfortable about talking about statistics of deaths of civilians. But if you are, and the numbers lost yeah. in, the, in the course of the Hamburg raids, it was more than just, just one raid, um, exceeds that that were actually lost uh, lost in Dresden. But Hamburg, they were making U-base. I just published a book, wrote um, and co-wrote it with a veteran called George Dunn, who was on the Hamburg raid. And as part of one of the chapters, you know, we explored uh, in the period just leading up to his raid, how many U-boats that came out of Hamburg had sunk merchant shipping. Now, what do you do as an Allied commander if you've got U-boats being made in Hamburg that are going out into the Atlantic seating, uh, sinking merchant shipping and all you've got is the blunt instrument of Bomber Command? Do you use it or don't you use it? I think you use it. Yeah, you, you, you yeah. know it's there. You know roughly where it is. Flatten it with everything you can. Yeah, I mean, you, you're bombing from 20,000 feet. It's not tens of thousands. It's not a precision instrument you're using. Um I mean, a bit of, bit of a roll here. I'll keep going. So then you've got yeah, the Poonamunda raid, August, 9, August 1943. So intelligence has come through about the V weapons, uh, particularly the, the, the V-2 rocket at, at Poonamunda, but there was the V-1 flying bomb as well. So Bomber Command sends a large force out uh, to, to bomb uh, Poonamunda uh, success, successfully. Uh, historians may argue about how much success, but it did, was successful, and, and I think it's fair to say that it prevented the use of the V weapons before the actual uh, D-Day landings. And then mm. the, v, the V weapon counteroffensive, uh, the, the second book I wrote was called Sledgehammers for Tin Tacks. It was an expression that Tedder had used to say that bombing V1 sites is like using a sledgehammer on a tin tack because they were su- such uh, small sites. But a greater tonnage of bombs was dropped on V weapon sites than was on Berlin through the entire war. A greater tonnage of bombs was dropped on V weapon sites uh, than the whole of 1942. So this is a, a huge campaign, and, and it definitely reduced the scale of the attack, attack on London and saved um, lives in the southeast uh, of England. Mm. Uh, same period we're building up to D-Day now. There's the dropping of agents, the dropping of supplies, the resistance in the build-up to, to D-Day. We've got the, the two the squadrons that are operating out of RAF, RAF Thamesford. And then we, I, think we, I think we perhaps might be talking a little bit about the Normandy invasion a bit, a bit later, but then you've got an extraordinary campaign in the build-up to Overlord going through. It actually starts in March 1944, going all the way to the to the day itself um, and beyond. And then we're into the oil campaign. Um, the Eighth Air Force involved. We've got a combined bomber offensive at this way yeah. at this point. But the the reduction in the in the production of oil was makes such a significant impact in the in the latter stages um, of the war. You're getting in onto the sinking of the Turpits, the precision, um, the dropping of the tw- the tall boys on the Turpits yep. uh, later on that year. Um, so there you are. There's a whistle stop yeah. tour of a, few, of, of a few things there. And yeah. I think, it's, if I can, it's just that it's the the Blitz. We get from September 1940 through to May 1941. We've got forty thousand plus civilians being killed in this country. Uh, and part of all the, the campaigns that we've talked about, the air battle is being shifted from the skies above London uh, to the skies above above Germany. And when the 8th Air Force comes in, in as well, it becomes a daylight uh, uh, campaign as well. None of these raids single-handedly won the war, but, uh, but, but Bomber Command's um, contribution is not decisive, uh, but, but it's a contributor. So there's all this yeah. to explore, yeah. not just that one raid in 1945. Yeah, and there's from certainly that the you know from a from the start of war really through all the way through to VE Day, which I accept is not the end of the war, but uh, all the way through to the end of the war, the bomber commander in there all the time, aren't there? There's the there, there's there's no part of the war that bomber command aren't getting involved in at all. No, absolutely, they're going through from September '39 all the way through to to May May '45 and, and beyond. There, two two other things. I mentioned about Operation Manor, which actually was happening during the war, was the dropping of humanitarian aid to the uh, the Dutch civilian population food. Yeah. Then you're going into Operation Exodus, where they're bringing the prisoners uh, uh, prisoners of war back. So, you know, Bomber Command was first to the last with its involvement in the Second World War. Um, when I first looked at D-Day as well, I looked at uh, I looked at airborne forces, and a lot of them are being dropped out of Sterling bombers. Mm. Uh, is Bomber Command flying those, or is that over to Army Air Corps? No, I think that's trans. I think they're from Transport Command. Yeah, transport. Uh, I think it's like one nine six squadron. Yeah, that, that, that's not Bomber Command, but 
Bob McCormand was very active in the run-up to D-Day and, and on D-Day, but I think we're going to come back to that one. So. Yeah, we, we've definitely got some D-Day questions coming up. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a World War II episode if we didn't talk about D-Day. Um, but given this laundry list of missions, campaigns, Bomber Command were involved with everything from sinking the turpits to dropping food supplies to starving civilians. But so how was this focus on Dresden? Mainly by media laziness and other aspects, things, but how does this focus on Dresden affect the reputation and history of Bomber Command? Um, well, it's it's become the the well it has become become the focus and it's uh i think it's affected affected the uh, the veterans um i mean let me if i can take you back to how it how actually my my view on it as well which then <laughs> may may deal with it as well i think um in particular i'd like to talk about a book i did what's called flight path to murder um, and this was the story of a, a Tempest pilot. So this is a fighter pilot who was shot down in September 1944, just the day before the Arnhem, Arnhem landings. And he was very, very quickly captured um, and, he, and he was murdered. Uh, and the, the book is the, the story of uh, his story and the, the, uh, how he was captured and the story of the men who perpetrated the crime and the war crime and the consequences as well. But he was perceived as a terror fleeger. So he's he's cast in with bomber command as well. A lot of bomber command um, uh, aircrew Lynch. So in researching the, the story around that, I went to the Reichswald um, War Cemetery mm-hmm. to the to the south of the Rhine, and you go. It's in a, in a huge. I don't know if you've been there. It's a huge cemetery, and you've got thousands of young airmen uh, who who are buried there who are invo- involved with. But most of those guys are, are, are bomber command guys as well and then across the river when i cross the river you go to emmerich and i stood in a mass grave uh, of civilians and i looked down um and uh, you know, i photographed it and i don't know whether photograph was the right thing to do but i did i photographed uh, the stone with the name of a mother and her four-year-old child and it uh, really made me feel very very much more examined what i was doing with respect to the writing about uh, bomber command I, I sat with a young when, when I say young, he was in his 70s. I'm saying young because normally I'm interviewing guys yeah. in their 80s, 90s. Yeah. But I sat <laughs> with a German civilian and he, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a German civilian who talked about his cousins who were hiding in a bath when Bomber Command attacked Emmerich and um, were burnt to death. I mean, you know, we mustn't uh, hide hide from those consequences. Consequences, but... The, the thing is that the deaths of those men in the Reichsfeld and the death of that woman and her child and the death of Tio, Tio Minen was his name, the death of Tio's, Tio's cousins, it is a, it's worth so much more than just isolating Bomber Command uh, down to one raid. We have to know how did their country, how did the German nation reach that point where that happened to some of their civilians? For those lads who are in Reichsfeld Cemetery, we have to know how their countries reach the point where they end up uh, in, in graves in Germany uh, and brilliantly looked after by the Commonwealth War Graves um, uh, Commission uh, as they do. So could you give us an insight then into in all the work that you've done as to, as to how our two respective countries reach that point where that happens? Well, it's the rise of Nazism. I don't think there's anyone can argue about the justification of the uh, of the Second World War, yeah. um, the German well, actually the, the incident I examined was actually on the Dutch German border, and it's very interesting within there. Not everybody is a Nazi, and in fact, in the war crime after uh, the war crimes trial, you've got some German people who are testifying against uh, against Nazis. So there was there was clearly some uh, unrest there. But you're you're dealing with a totalitarian state. The Nazi, Nazism needs to be defeated. There's no no one can argue against that. And perhaps later on, I might talk to you a little bit about my views on intentionality and the, the bomber command offensive um, uh, with respect to that. And then we ha- we had to do something about it. There's no there's no there's no two two ways about it. Um, yeah, would you say it's fair to say that they they were going all out on total war, and anybody else that was going to oppose them had to go in on those terms as well. Well, there's very there's. Um, 
at the start of the war, you know, they're not bombing of civilians. There's a, they, they try and do that, but it escalates and becomes very, very brutal. I actually cover that that in the book. That this this notion of the chivalrous Luftwaffe and the chivalrous RAF and uh, you know looking after each other. I think perhaps there was some of that, that at the start of the war, but that definitely uh, deteriorated. You know, the Cologne raid in May 1942. You've got the area bombing of, of, of Cologne. That changes the landscape and the view uh, view of the air crew, and yeah. uh, certainly propaganda is going out that um, civilians, uh, the police in Germany, are not to interfere if civilians are taking out their revenge upon air crew that uh, that land. So it's it's becoming becoming br- particularly brutal as it was going to, as as it as it escalated. Um, so I mean, so so I think Carl's question was about the uh, the reputation of, of, yeah. of bomber command because mm-hmm. because of the dread. So I've I've I found it very difficult, and it's taken me a long time to get to terms with whether it, the bombing was justified or it's not justified. And you stand next to this grave and whatever, and and the reputation of of bomber command. So Dresden becomes the focus because it's February nineteen forty five. The 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 casualty figures are grossly inflated by German propaganda by a factor of 10. Um, so up in, up to the 200,000 mark. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, I think, I think the, currently the figures that are around about, I think 22,000, uh, 25,000. Isn't it awful to talk about yeah. the, the killing of people in terms of t- thousands of numbers and just to talk about it. Yeah. I, I've, I find it so difficult talking with that, that language um, because each one of those people was an individual. Each one of those was that that that, that mum uh, with their child there who had opportunities yeah. in life that that, that were, were cut out. Um, so the German propaganda has escalated it. But then the the, the problem, particularly in, in the Allied countries, comes that the politicians distance themselves from the actual act itself. So Churchill um, is puts in, puts out a request. I've got um, a request in regard to the attack uh, on Dresden. I've got, yeah, I've got, I've got the quote here. He asks, asks uh, Air Minister Archibald Sinclair, whether, quote, whether Berlin and no doubt other large cities in East Germany should now be considered especially attractive targets. And they are, February 1945, we have those particular rates. And then he drafts a memo in which he says, the destruction of Dresden remains a serious query against the, the conduct of Allied bombing. So he's starting to distance himself from something that re- he has yeah. really been uh, be, been mm. pushing for, for, and then that that develops and re- the relationships they have with Sir Arthur Harris. Uh, I think in the Lancaster film, one of our veterans says, "You know, Churchill had his bowler hat. He had his poli- at that point he put his politician's bowler hat on uh, and tries to distance. He's thinking beyond beyond the war, but and uh, Bomber Command gets snubbed in victory speeches. They don't get don't get their campaign medal." And a lot of the veterans, they, I think, from from the the sample that I've met, they they've gone into, um, gone back to ordinary life. They've gone back to their families, and they've been very, very, very uh, reluctant to talk about what they actually did because um, this is always raised. So that that's the effect that this one particular raid has has had yeah. on that. Now, and it's just getting perpetuated, perpetuated, perpetuated. Every time it comes at the media, they've got two minutes to talk about bomber commanding. Yeah, okay, they'll go with Dan Busters, but they'll often go straight straight with Dresden. And poor old John Banfield, who's hid the, the, the story that he had of his life and the trauma he suffered, has just had to keep that inside, keep inside. And that's that's the effect. They're not... They're not <laughs> Joe Lancaster, who features in the, the, the Lancaster documentary. His name is Joe Lancaster, <laughs> uh, pilot. Unfortunately, he, he's no longer with us. And he said, "Am, am I really?" A, he said to me, "Am I really a terror flieger? Me, a terrorist? How can I be a terrorist?" And clearly, it, it affected him. That, that's how he was perceived. And um, you know, a lot of these guys went into their their shells. I hope that answers. I hope that's. Uh, Got to the answer for your question, Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's yeah, that, that's a good answer, and it actually kind of neatly leads into into the next one, which I'm going to ask. Because you mentioned that a lot of that, and you mentioned two guys that have kind of briefly spoken about it. There, you've interviewed sort of 200 veterans, and I hope so, got those those stories out of them. 
So with that focus on Dresden and the subsequent reputation that is then filtered out by media into, you know, the popular narrative, what do the pilots and the crews have to say about that? There is a, well, up to, up to now, not a lot. And that's sort of the point mm. because there's a, there, there was a sense of betrayal. There still is a sense of betrayal. I think it is being uh, remedied somewhat with recent in the last decade with, certain memorials that have been erected and yeah and that that side of things but up to now not a lot i mean it's just it's it's so standard that you'll be at an air show and someone will come up to you and they'll say well my grand my grandfather my uncle whatever served in bomber command and they never spoke about it although i do i do think that that goes across not just bomber command i think that goes across a lot of war veterans as well mm. but you know raf has got this culture about you don't want to shoot a line and um uh, and and also you've got to be very conscious when you're interviewing guys that you are asking them to remember stuff that's not, not particularly a happy memory. Yeah, you know they, they've lost. They may well have lost. They've lost mates. They've been on aircraft where mates have died. Some of the guys in the documentary talk talk about that. So you're taking them back to some very very un, unpleasant memories. And why would they want when they when they've finished their careers in in, in the RAF in Second World War? Why would they want to put on their family? The awful experiences that they actually why would they, they actually had why would they want to put that onto that loved one again back going back to the Lancaster documentary one of the veterans talks about he never spoke to his wife about it and it was decades afterwards that she found out uh, about what he did so up to now they they haven't really said a lot because I think they're gonna they're they're be accused of being terror fleagers or or terrorists the mm. mo- the moral ambiguity of bomber command is something that they they might fa- uh, feel feel very guilty about. I wrote a book called Five of the Many and and Tiny Calling, called Tiny because obviously he was six foot seven. Yeah, um, yeah. of course they do in, in the RAF. But t- Tiny said that after the war, I think he, he was going through one German city and a woman was coming th- towards him uh, on crutches and she only had one leg, and he, his first thought well, it was, "Did I do that?" Um, yeah. And uh, he said, and you have you have these thoughts, but you put them to the back of the drawer, and you leave them there. So, and it's and and I don't try and maybe find the words. I feel in a sort of privileged position that I can go in and speak to these guys, and they will open up to me if they know that you're genuine yeah. and you use the the language of the day and you ask them questions that are very relevant and they understand. You you can generally find um, that they will open up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what they have to say. But specifically to Dresden, you, you'll say that it was just another raid, is what they will say, which for many mm. of them, it was just another raid. Uh, and they were just doing a job, right? the job that they were they were asked to do. What, what their motivations are, I think over the course of all my research, the motivations are very different. Some of them definitely were up for the fight against Nazism. Some of them had been inspired by flying in the 1920s and the 1930s with Cobham's Flying Circus. Some mm-hmm. of them had made models with their with their with their fathers. Some had lived near an airfield and, and a sense of adventure as well. And of course, Bomber Command's a multinational force. So you've got them coming from all over the over the world, and there was certainly an affinity towards the needs of this country. Australian was not so much rivalries is is now, but they were quite happy to come back to their mother country. Yeah. Um, uh, to 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 try and defend it uh, against against Nazism. When when you've got guys that are um, going up on the Dresden raid, going up on the Hamburg raid, going and bombing Punamunda, do the pilots and crews know what the object of that mission is, or is it a case of go go to this point on the map and open your payload doors and fly home? Do they know that they're flattening a city, or that they're Taking out a a V weapon plan. Yeah. Well, the, the, there'll be a target within the um, what they're told a, sp- a specific target within there. But such is the nature of uh, of bomber command and the, the blunt instrument that is the heavy bomber flying yeah. at tens of thousands of feet. It is going to become uh, area bombing, and uh, you know, we can mm-hmm. talk about the yeah. strategy and the the area bombing offensive. But, uh, the Pinamunda raid. They would. Um, uh, slightly different because the V weapons was no knowledge about the V weapons was very secret. And I think it was on the Pinamunda raid. They were told that the Germans were developing something that would would uh, be used against the bomber force. 
So it was very, very vital to go there. And there was particularly high um, security on that night. Uh, and they were told also if they didn't knock it out that night, they'd go back the next night and the next night and the next night. So they made sure that they did knock it out. So there are there, there is specific targeting, but let's not let's not beat around the bush. This is not precision bombing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and, and um, saying that it is precision bombing, even the Americans saying it's this this might annoy some some listeners, but the 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 Americans used a lot of the term that it was precision bombing. I, I'm sorry, it's not when you're yeah. at, at tens of thousands of feet. The ordnance yeah, that, I mean, that they're using. You're, you're tens of thousands of feet. You're flying how fast when you open the Bombay door? Oh, a couple of hundred miles an hour, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you can't do anything pre- precisely in that. Yeah, no, and even on for, even on the formation, and you're bombing on a leader. That's still gonna. There's still gonna be a spread. Yeah. Um, so they may have known that they were going to go and bomb, say, a ball bearing factory, but just the sheer nature of the bombs they're dropping, the planes they're flying, the distance and height, and all the other factors to contribute. They're still just going to flatten a square mile around that factory if they hit it at all. Yes, I mean that, that's the Schweinfurt ball bearing yeah. factory. So the the, the the Americans are attacking that, but but they 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 are attacking in daylight. That's yeah. that's what the the Americans were doing, and the, the RAF are attacking at night, and yeah, that's why you get the development development of the area bombing defense. I mean, that's a whole new subject. How bomber command tried daylight, but the losses were just far far too high and unsustainable. Mm. So they moved to night. Then the Americans come in 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 forty two, and they believe in the daylight being able to do it, and the armament of the B seventeens and the B twenty fours, and then they suffer losses on a ball bearing uh, the, the Schweinfurt raid that proves that they need the escorts and the long range. But they are bombing in daylight, which does certain, doesn't certainly help with the accuracy uh, that you have there. Bomber command does return to daylight. But um, yeah, so uh, uh, they do know what they do know what they're attacking and, and why they're attacking it. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's, there's a, a, a there is an esprit. Is it funny? There's an es- interesting esprit. The esprit de corps um, is very much there on a crew level uh, within within bomber command. So there's a motivation to not let your crewmates down. So if they are attacking, that's what they're doing. Get 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 your crew home. Not so much within the squadron because of. The problem with making friends within a squadron is you're going to lose. You may that, that bed will be empty the next night. Yeah, so you've got to you protect yeah. yourself from being exposed to having a relationship with someone else on the squadron because you're likely because you're going to you're going to be upset <laughs> a, a lot. Um, so yeah, they're, even they're if you much. come back scratch free, other crews aren't coming back scratch free. Yeah. There are going to be holes in those crews and planes when they come back. Yes. Yeah, and to protect yourself exactly, there's a language you develop around that. So and so bought it today. Um, let's go and have down, and we drink to the guys who who didn't make it back. Now, what actually happened to them was was horrific, but uh, that's the way we'll we'll find a language and a, a way of co- a coping mechanism. Otherwise, you go you go bonkers, wouldn't you? So. Yeah, because it, it sounds like a job where if you think about it too hard, you will go absolutely. You'll fall apart. Yeah, and and uh, that actually takes back to interesting you say that because it takes us back to something else as well. In that the bomber offensive is at night, so you're not actually mostly we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know prior to, run up to uh, 1944. You're not seeing the consequence of what's what you're doing on the ground. Yeah. Now you would nowadays you would have it in your phone. You'd be able to see in your phone what the consequences of of your bombing is, but you're not seeing that in the Second World War. Guys are bombing at night from thousands and thousands of feet uh, and then returning returning home again. So if we can zoom out just a little bit, we've already discussed a little of this already, but what are these missions trying to actually achieve? What is the overall plan, the overall strategy for Bomber Command in the Second World War? Well, it, it's okay. So it, it does shift. Um, yeah, uh, as as the as the war develops, as the requirements develop, and there's a <laughs> there's a lot of calls on bomber command, lots of uh, lots of Arthur Harris with di- diversions and panacea targets. Yeah. He's, um, he certainly he he'd be very good on a history rage podcast. That'd be your longest one, I would have thought. You know, <laughs> not not off. So, so yeah, I'm a him <laughs> no, or Field Marshal Hague. That's yeah. going to be the long one. <laughs> yes, yes. So. Um, so yes, I've mentioned so the, the shift in emphasis. So I've mentioned the Battle of the Barges and then the the, the, 
attack on, on shipping a part of the Battle of the Atlantic, preserving our, our supplies. There's a, a key shift in Bomber Command um, policy that comes about because of what's called the Butt Report in 19, uh, 1941. So that's an examination of re- photogra- uh, target photographs from returning crews. And basically, Bomber Command was not being effective. The returning crews were being too optimistic with what they were saying about hitting the targets. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got individual aircraft finding their own way to the target. It was just not being effective. And there had to be the, uh, a whole rethink taking into account having to operate at night, the limitations of the, wepo- of the weaponry that they had and the aircraft. Um, and then you, and it, so you're moving into 1942. At this point, you've got the four engines heavy coming in, the Sternings, the Halifaxes, uh, the Lancasters coming in. So there's a, a key shift of what's known as the area bombing offensive uh, in February 1942, where the focus is to attack the, the enemy civil population and the morale of the the German uh, population, so that's that's where we're starting getting controversial from a moral moral ambiguity point of view. So particular, so the German civilian population, particularly the industrial workers, that's what it says uh, in the narrative. And how, Sir Arthur Harris comes in at the same time. He opens up with the thousand bomber raids in 1942, starting off on, on, with Cologne at the end of the May May, and he make he's making his statement about what the potential of, of bomber command is. The Americans are coming in at this point. Uh, Casablanca direct is re-emphasizing that attack on the morale of the German people. What it says where the capacity for armed resistance is is fatally weak, weakened is some of the language that used. But it's also looking to attack German fighter strength because their superiority is going to be key when it comes to the re-entry into Europe. Emphasized by the point blank directive yeah. um, in 1943, with a real emphasis coming through to attack. German fighter strength and the Americans they come in with the, the, some some raised in Germany where they they lose heavily some deep penetrations uh, unescorted and they lose um, sixty aircraft now there's ten there's ten guys in a liberator in a a fortress so that's six hundred men they've lost so they 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 were finding that deep penetration into Germany without fighter strength was was unsupportable but then you know, that's a, probably a whole, a whole other bod, podcast and we go into the Mustang getting involved and being able to su- support that deep deep, mm. deep penetration. Harris is still finding scope within all of this to carry on his night area bombing offensive and he opened the major campaign in the winter of 43-44 with the Battle of Berlin, 16 major raids from November through to, through, uh, through to March. And the uh, official history calls that a defeat to Bomber Command, actually. Um, really? Yeah. Well it, and it, well, it culminates in, in, in March 44, you get uh, 24th, 25th of March. There's a raid, I think it's about 72 bombers are shot down, lost to the night fighters. And it culminates at the end of that month with the Nuremberg raid, where 96 aircraft failed to return. So seven, 700 men. So here's another one of those statistics. Bomber Command lost more men in one night on one raid than Fighter Command did in the whole of the Battle of Britain. Wow. Yeah. So, um, the, 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 so the new the Nuremberg raid. Yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're losing ninety six aircraft on uh, on the Nuremberg raid, I mean, how many are flying out? Uh, I'm, off the top of my head, I'm not sure on that, that Nuremberg raid, but you're getting up to about uh, six, seven, eight hundred um, on on a major raid. Six, seven, eight hundred yeah. four engine heavies um, going out on these raids. Um, so, working on that level, you're looking at losing one in six. There, which is uh, on that, pretty yeah, on that, well, it, it, it's it's unsustainable, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I know D Day; they muster about a thousand. There's about a thousand sorties on D Day, um, which is which is quite exceptional. Um, and and P, the Pinamunda raid was six hundred, six hundred, uh, just around about six hundred. So yes, yeah, so this this those percentages are unsustainable. So in some ways, it's fortunate that Bomber Command is going to be taken away from area bombing and attacks on the German cities and is now going to be involved in Operation Overlord. So in terms of some, somewhat fortuitous um, in that, that respect. So coming into Operation Overlord then, part of that is, yeah. the, is, is the transport plan which calls for the bombing of targets in France. So how, how the crews face up to bombing what is effectively an allied country and an allied population, even if it is occupied and it might be considered an enemy territory, you know, it's still France and France is still on our side. 
Well, they're attacking. They're they're attacking rail yards, but of course they they are within uh, built up areas, and I have read. Read, read accounts from veterans who I think did find that somewhat somewhat difficult once they saw the consequences of what was happening. But I, I, don't, I haven't come across too much concern about the fact that they were bombing in occupied, uh, occupied territory. Again, it's doing a job, feeling it's necessary, and, and there are young men obeying orders. But certainly at command level, uh, and I'm talking about, I'm talking actually air ministry and going up to war mm-hmm. cabinet uh, level, there was a considerable debate about the acceptable level of casualties uh, to friendly uh, to, uh, to friendly casualties. And, and one does wonder if that sort of stuff was happening now and the media getting involved and examining now, I just don't think it would be allowed, allowed to happen. I mean, they, were, they were talking, when initial plans for the transportation were, were put out there, they were talking of tens, tens of thousands of lives being lost uh, and, and Churchill was, was was having none of that and they kept having to revise the, the, the plan down, revising it down. I, I wrote a book called D, D-Day Bombers which goes into a lot of detail about the, the, the war cabinet discussions and I think, it, I, think I think they got down to about a, and it, isn't this extraordinary, an acceptable level of around about 10, 12,000 um, casualties friendly casualties um, they Which were, is still were. a fair old chunk of the Normandy population, isn't it? When you think about it, yeah, well, it, well it, absolutely, it's horrific. I think, I, I think, if there's any historians out there, I think there's a real opportunity for some research there. Now, this is this is anecdotal, but when I, because my grandfather was shot down on a, the raid May 1944 on a attack in Han Saint Pierre, which was a, a rail target, um, and we went out there and we met the people who hid him and. Uh, 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 and and hid, hid, hid some of his crew as well. So this is anecdotal, but my experience is that the RAF are seen as liberators by yeah. the French civilian population. Um, the French were were hiding RAF airmen as well, and there, there's the resistance network too. I haven't come across any animosity towards the Royal Air Force. Now you would have thought, well, there must be, and maybe it's it's specific to where perhaps some of the body bombing did spread into the areas, but perhaps there's an opportunity for some kind of research uh, to actually explore that. But I, I actually haven't haven't come across it. Harris did warn of, of potential disasters. It was at the similar similar sort of time. Bomber Command they started in December and January '43 with some experimental raids, but they were uh, against some of the V weapon targets that were being identified mm. in northern France. The ski sites. Um, as well, so and Harris did warn of the potential disasters that were coming if that a strategic bombing force was going to be used in a, a tactical uh, situation. Uh, and there's yeah. a lot of argument going on. Lee Mallory, Alec, uh, um, Allied Expeditionary Air Force, wants bomber command coming in at a tactical level, and you know, and, and Harris is not so keen on it. He, he thinks the best way is just to keep attacking German industry, German industry. Um, so there's quite that. Debate. And there are there are there's disasters. There are there is bombing that um, uh, happens uh, that lands in French in built up houses near the near the rail yards. And there's no question that the the transport plan was extremely you know, important in isolating the Normandy battlefield from German reinforcement, and also mm-hmm. part of the Operation Fortitude in in north going up into France and into Belgium attacking rail yards up there as part of that plan to deceive the Germans into thinking the invasion's coming in the, in the Padicale area. But uh, there is no question that it isolated the battlefield. It meant that German reinforcement had to come off the rail yards. It had to go onto the roads. It's then opening itself up to the, the fighter bombers and, and the, the tactical air forces as well. But was it worth that, that, that cost in, in lives? Well, France was liberated. And I, I, I think Bomber Command misses out massively on the recognition for its support to D-Day. There is no mention of Bomber Command. This is, this is, God, this is a whole new rant. I could really go, go off on one. <laughs> there is, well, I suppose it's part, it's part of the same thing. 60, the commemorations of D-Day, 60th anniversary or whatever, stuff like that. Not one mention of, of Bomber Command. Not, not, nothing. Not a smidging. And poor old Mrs. Darlow had me going ranting and marching around the house, probably listening to a, to, to me going on now bomber command started operating in support of overlord they they specifically they bombed the traps rail yard 6th 7th of march so three months before anyone set foot on a on the beat bomber command had lost thousands of aircrew in in, in attacking d-day targets they were bombing 
the, the gun batteries before anyone set on set foot on the beaches on that particular night, and then you go beyond that as well, and there's um, there's attacks, and they're they're brought in as airborne artillery, I guess, to try and open mm-hmm. up Khan, part of Operation Goodwood. The Americans have the same as they're moving down from the Sherbal Peninsula. Uh, there's there's friendly bombing that goes goes on on there as well. How, how, what Harris predicted would happen uh, was right. But I th- but Harris, he, I think he did underestimate his air crews. He didn't. I think they were better. The Pathfinders are really coming to the fore now and developing their techniques. Um, I think they did actually did better than he he actually um, expected in, in in what they're involved. So you know we've got when we when we get to two two thousand and twenty four. Please, can there be some kind of recognition of what what Bomber Command did uh, in in support of the Normal invasion? And I'll re-release my book at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Well, that, yeah. that that neatly segues us into uh, into the roundup question, yeah. then, Kyle. So, yeah. So to round off things, um, how can we start to move away from this focus on Dresden and more into what Bomber Command actually did throughout the entire war? Well, you can't say buy all your books. Yeah. Right? Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. By all the books are published as well. Then, uh, yes. <laughs> um, well, we do we do podcasts like this. Uh, yeah. I, I think we we keep just to reiterate. I, I'm not saying we don't talk about Dresden. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. It, it, yes. it cannot. It's a human tragedy and disaster. And, yeah. and how we got there mm-hmm. is, is very important. And we cover it in the Lancaster feature uh, documentary as well. What we do is we need, we keep commemorating other uh, uh, anniversaries uh, when they come up. So we identify the Nuremberg Raid, we have Pienemunde Raid, um, Battle of Britain Day, maybe, you know, try and get that little bit of a shift towards the Bomber Command guys as well. You should listen to our uh, episode that James Holland did because uh, he was he was okay. very keen that Bomber Command and Coastal Command got recognition. Yes, well, fantastic, good. Well, that's, uh, I'm, I'm pleased about that. Yeah, as you say, and well, well done mentioning uh, Coastal Command too. Um and we expand the opportunities uh, to learn learn more. Yeah. I mean, the International Bomber Command Centre up are doing a fantastic job with their digital archive, getting getting all papers in from from veterans and family members of veterans and whatever, and putting to this unbelievable digital archive and the losses database as well. So, if someone's got a relative who was lost in Bomber Command, there's, you can find out so much so much information now. So that's fantastic that they're done. They're doing a fantastic job at the IBCC and the Bomber Command Memorial in london at the green park in 2012 that got good profile um mm. we got a lot of, quite a lot of, of media media coverage funded by public money as well there's no uh there wasn't any government funding that came in on that in fact they were going to charge them vat but there was a bit of an uproar about, about that as well so we keep talking about it and we keep comm- commemorating the royal air force benevolent fund is doing a good job now that they have taken on the guardianship of the bomber command memorial and they're they're putting out stories about anniversaries uh, with respect to bomber command. And 125,000 aircrew served. They've they've all got nieces, nephews, daughters, sons. You know the generations are going down. There's there's I don't know a million odd people who must be related uh, to mm. bomber command aircrew, and they're wanting to find out as well. So that that's where we, we uh, we'll, we'll keep going with it. I, I think. Yeah. We lost an opportunity at the end of the Second World War. The United States carried out a comprehensive bombing survey, and the British didn't. Uh, and it, it was actually Churchill, um, I, I've got a note here about it as well, he called uh, to carry out a, a, bomber sur- a British bomber survey, so it would be a sterile task. And a greatly reduced survey was carried out, um, nothing like what the Americans did at all. And so Charles Portal, if I could just quote, he would write, yeah. because of this government opinion in the UK in regard to the air offensive, and I also suggest public opinion would be, quote, based largely on propaganda, personal recollection, or on the results of investigations of other nations. And I do think we have reached that point now. So we've got propaganda, personal recollection, if I can blow my own trumpet, I'm collecting, 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 publishing, publishing, publishing. And then you've got organisations like the IBCC who are doing a fantastic um uh, job, job on those as well. So that's how, that's how we're remembering Bomber Command at the moment. Um, but there's no question in the last decade, these guys are starting 
to get more recognition. Sadly, many many of them passed. I think yeah. I, 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 if you don't mind, I think the Lancaster documentary is now being shown in uh, New Zealand. We get it's going to go to Canada. It's going to go to Australia. That's taking the story story around the, the world as well. And I think it's a very yeah, balanced. Yeah. They've told it very balanced. I think the edit, the directors have done a fantastic job in keeping balance, not trying to come down one way or another on the moral ambiguity. Yeah. Well, we everybody out there that's listening, you know, all the organisations that have been kind of quoted and referenced to tonight we're going to put links in the show notes so get get involved wherever you can go and see the bomber command memorial all the bomber command memorials you know and we'll be posting up you know into social media on those anniversaries as well so let's so let's help keep this message going fantastic thank you good well thank you very much steve because i think we've got a solid look into uh, bomber command's history from there it's certainly opened my eyes to an awful lot of operations that I knew about but never really made the the bomber command link to as well. And I think that's one of the underlying points of this whole rage is that in everything that was going on, bomber command was there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, these guys, these young lads need more recognition. I, I, everyone's going to be shouting for the recognition of their various bits, but there's no the bomber command boys were betrayed. They need their recognition. Come on, media, stop resorting to this simplistic approach, easy way to uh, present it. Do a bit more digging, and you'll and you'll find some unbelievable, extraordinary stories if you do that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to know more, then uh, you can start. You can start by actually watching Lancaster because you can purchase it on Amazon Prime uh, at the moment. If it's out there, I think it's on a number of other networks as well. Uh, but that was the one where I found it pretty much very, very quickly. Um, or you can read any of Steve's 22 books and uh, also other books that are published on the subject uh, by Steve and his company as well. And we'll have links to how you can do that in the show notes as well. And finally, you can follow him on Twitter at Steve Darla. Uh, but once again, Steve, thank you very much for coming on and getting angrier than you thought you would. <laughs> I need to calm down now. I really must calm down. But thank you for the opportunity. It's great. Thank you. You're welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Bavel. And I'm at Kyle G History. And if you're enjoying History Rage, then please consider joining the Angry Mob on Patreon. This really helps us meet the cost of podcasting. Your £5 per month will get you early episodes, the invite to put questions to future guests, and the coveted History Rage mug. And you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash history rage. But until next week, from all of us, stay angry. Bye-bye. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.